0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. Thank you for listening to this Billy Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly Up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, the show transitions its focus to the history of the NFL. With the 2021 NFL Draft, Two weeks away, we focus on its origins and one team owner's impact that saved the NFL in its infancy.
0: You're behind the mic on Michael Neal Jr.
1: What's happening, people? Mike Neal, the Behind the Mic podcast. It's now focusing on NFL history. We're doing a transition. This is what is going to be going forward. And here's the thing. I had to pretty much ask myself a couple of questions and I'll ask you one. Have you ever wondered how certain things got started? The origins, what happened to people before and after signature moments in history, things like that, you know, where a a building used to be, this, this used to be the spot where this building was. And, you know, I, I, I was always fascinated by history. And that's pretty much how I got my start in the, my love of sports. I'll tell this story one more time. You know, you'll probably hear it again. But um, for me, it was it started with the NFL films, Super Bowl memories that came on ESPN. Steve Sables got the little, you know, they had the little green, um, you know, background or whatever with Lombardi. And they had a picture of... Um, I think it was Franco Harris and then the picture of Joe Montana come up with the Super Bowl trophy. You know, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da. All right, I guess I can't sing that, but I don't want to get fined or whatever it is. But I mean, it, it, it's something that I, I as a kid, I recorded on if you people don't know VHS tapes and I taped over movies that my parents had, you know, recorded off of cable tv and and um you know my mom she was mad but she was cool with it because she's like hey this kid he likes something and I was caught uh really caught up in watching professional sports but mainly football I had to ask myself what my passion was it was and and it's the history of professional football and I wanted to do something different something outside of what everybody else does i mean it is great to be able to spout off opinions and you probably get some you know here and there from me but um my passion is the history of the game and that's my niche i found my niche 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 however you want to say it i just gave you both so you know going forward that's what the podcast is going to be um you're going to get a you know, a sub name eventually to the Behind the Mic podcast. And again, We're and we're also on Spreaker again. Uh, we're on Spreaker now as well as those other podcast platforms. BillyUpsports.com, Billyupsports Podcasting Network. Uh, come see us. You can visit the new website. We had a soft boot. Uh, looks It looks good. It looks good. The, uh, the, the website looks pretty good. It's improving. Um, it's a growing network. And hopefully I will be a part of it continuing uh, going forward and uh, watch this thing grow. And this show is going to be different. Uh, It's going to be good. I really hope that you're interested. Uh, I'm not going to bore you. And I'm praying that I do this in an entertaining way, my own way. But I had to ask myself, you know, those questions about my love of football and the love of NFL and college football. Those are the things I love the most. And my love of history pretty much has led me to here. And that is my focus. So with those Steve Sable Super Bowl memories, I wanted to know what happened to the 70s Steelers. What happened uh, to those 60s Packers? I mean, there was more than just, okay, they got old and retired or something like that. I wanted to know the backstories. I didn't know uh, until later on about what happened to Vince Lombardi. They won Super Bowl II, uh, and he retired. He came back with the Redskins, and he ended up passing away in 1970, only, what, about a year or two later? And, um, you know, those are the kind of things that really um, piqued my interest. And what I did was, and I've told this before as well, I would go back and forth to a local mall, and what before I could afford the book, the book was like a phone book, all right, or about a phone book and a half. And it was all statistics, all statistics. I wanted to know what they did. And at the time, you know, I was playing a lot of Tecmo Bowl and Tecmo, Super Tecmo Bowl came out as well uh, a couple of years later after the first one on the Nintendo Entertainment, entertainment System. If you're about your know, high 30s, uh, 40s, you know what I'm talking about, 50s. Um, basically, they started keeping statistics that piqued me interest there. I was collecting football cards, you know, uh, and I was flipping those bad boys on the back. Okay, so this is good when he has over a 1000 yards or whatnot. That was all of those things got me started on this road. So basically, when 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 I started looking at those statistical books, then I wanted to hear stories. I wanted to see stories, and I saw those movies, and I started searching out more movies. And the one that captivated me the most was on what was it? The T, on TNT, uh, NFL. And I don't know if it was. I think it was NFL Films. Um, they had seventy five seasons. It was celebrating the first seventy five seasons of pro football. If you watch that, it's if you can't find it, and I had the videotape, and I think I watched it until it broke and you couldn't fix it anymore. Um, but it is on YouTube. Watch it. Very compelling stuff. So I just want to talk about stuff that I've learned, as well as stuff that I already knew, and just pass this interesting knowledge and these stories along. So this is a little bit of a mix of both. Look, bear with me. And we're going to go to it right now. We all love the NFL draft. It's coming up in two weeks, right? Uh, we're looking at these guys that are about to get drafted, like Trevor Lawrence. Um, everybody's looking at Pinay Sewell, Justin Fields, Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Mr. Heisman himself, and uh, several others. So, I um, mean, but there's a start to everything. You have to start somewhere, right? And there wasn't always an NFL draft. The league is, what, 100 years old. Come, what, last year, I think it was? And even then, you have to have an understanding of the times that the draft eventually was formed, formulated out of. What has the draft become? It's a TV event that rivals in an NBA and NHL playoff games. People watch the draft before they'll watch a playoff game, if, unless you're a big NFL or NHL fan. It rivals playoff games and championships. The ratings are high. Why? I mean, just look at it. I heard it described last week as this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. Basically, a guy who gets his name called, slaps on a hat and walks across the stage, bro hugs a commissioner, or the commissioner, and it gets better ratings than people that's actually playing a game. Nobody watches the MLB draft. Well, I don't want to say nobody, but somebody does. A majority of people will be in that room to watch that television with the NFL draft. And even the NBA draft. I mean, I check out after probably the first 10 picks, really the first five, because we already know who they're going to be unless the Cleveland Cavaliers pick somebody, you know, just completely off the, you know, I, I, I still don't understand the Anthony, uh, not the Anthony Edwards pick, but the uh, the pick that they had a couple of years ago, I forgot the guy's name. He's not. I don't, I don't even. I don't even know if he's in even in the league anymore. Uh, the kid that was in at UNLV. Go figure. But those kind of picks have been made in the NFL draft as well, right? We've had. We've seen some dumb stuff done, and we've seen some of the smartest moves made, and we all think we know what we're talking about. We got Mel Kiper. And back in the day was Dr. Z. Um, So, I mean, you have so many. It's become an event. It's a television event. But there were some humble beginnings. And I think that the man that played the biggest part in it, he actually saved the league. And some, some smart men actually came together and put this thing together in order to save the league because they realized how important these moves were. Here it is. So at the time, football started pretty much, pro football started in 1920. The NFL was finally formed, you know, around 1920. And you have to understand the time, at the time, college football was king. It was all about college football. Okay, so just think of it as the XFL that was the funk, boom, just like that. That's the NFL in the 1920s. College football was what the NFL is now. That's what's all the rage, right? And so, they were a startup. Eventually down the road, after some teams have been inserted in the league and some failed because why? They didn't have enough money. The teams that won had the money. They had the gate. But the teams that did not do so well, they didn't get as much money. Because, look, I'm not going somewhere um, to see somebody lose. Hint, hint, some of these teams now, they perennially lose and the fans keep showing up. Not back then. You didn't win, they didn't show up, and eventually you didn't have a team anymore. Well, the the best college football players back then, they were essentially free agents. So... Just imagine that the owners, and I guess they didn't really have scouts yet, right? The owners would travel all over the country to talk to these guys. They were seniors because they were protecting their eligibility because the NFL was like, okay, you want me to play and do this? It was a step down. And so they had to convince these guys, and it was always about the Monty. All right, so if you couldn't pay, they was not going to play for you. The NFL early on was dominated by the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, for instance. And then there were the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're going to fast forward from 1920 to about 1935. And what do we, I've been reading a couple of books. I don't know if you've heard of was it On the Clock? But uh, the other one I've been reading is America's Game, the NFL at 100. It was written co-written by Jerry Rice and uh, author Randy O. Williams. Very, very good book. Um, I'm, I'm in the midst of finding some books that I used to read a long time ago. I'm I'm still looking for them. I found some of them and they're coming to me. Come on, Amazon, come through for me. So the way that the book describes... Uh, a game in 1935 basically the philadelphia eagles who were owned by burt bell they were playing against the green bay packers who were loaded with hall of famers i don't know if you know these names but you should don hudson arnie herber johnny blood they just beat the eagles 13 to 6 the eagles had just lost their fifth straight game and they ended that 1935 season with the worst record in the league. And on top of that, they were dead last in offense and almost, well, they were next to last in defense. He was tired of that, right? So you have to understand that the best college football players were able to sign with any club. Most of the time, they're going to sign with the good teams. That's how the good teams remain good. Picture it like this. College football. College football. We got the NFL draft. You know exactly who's going in the NFL draft. And most of those players, if you look at some of the rankings, as far as the the, the lineup of the the top 100 prospects, for instance, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Patrick Sertain Jr., Jalen Waddell, Oh, you see a Travis ETN. You see a a theme here. It's all the same players from all the same teams. It's Clemson. It's Alabama. uh, It's Ohio state. It's uh, LSU. Even though LSU coming off their championship last year, we don't have to go into that. We know why they weren't as good this year. Half their roster, which was really good is now in the league, but Imagine it like that. That was the NFL back then. Alabama was, to say, the Bears. LSU, Ohio State, they were the Eagles and the Packers. Those were the teams that were getting all the good players. And they stayed on top. And they were basically beating each other up at the top. Parity is very important in the league. You see how things can be. When you complain about college football, everybody up at here at the top, unless you're a fan of those four or five teams, you're probably not going to even get invited into the Final Four, right? Bird Bell saw this, and he said this was going to be a problem long-term if we don't do something about it. His suggestion, a draft, where the worst team gets to pick according to their record. Worst gets to pick first, best. Well, you get to pick last. That's where the model came for him. And he did have a last-ditch effort at the end of that season heading into 1936. There was a star fullback linebacker. I'm trying not to butcher his name. They called him King Kong Kotzka. He was out of Minnesota, play for the Golden Gophers. He was, like, one of the best players coming out. He tried to get him to sign with the Eagles. Basically, he's like, nah, He ended up signing for the Brooklyn Dodgers with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes, a football team named the Brooklyn Dodgers. He only played a season and then that was it. And that wasn't something that wasn't, um, that wasn't something that was strange for guys to say no to the league. It's like, eh, I'm good. And after those four wonderful years of playing in college football, they were fine with going and doing something else. So eventually what ended up happening, Burt Bell who we most would know as the commissioner of the NFL from 1946 to 1959, he decided to go to other owners and say, let's do this. Eventually they said, all right, well, this is probably a good idea because if the same team stay at the top, the league might die. And that's exactly what was going to happen. The only two owners slash coach that, one slash coach that was a little bit opposed to this George Hallis of the Bears hint hint Tim Mara of the Giants hint hint so you wouldn't ask Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney hey look you know why don't we start you know letting some of these other really good recruits you know this this fourth on the depth chart running back who was the best in the nation his senior year why don't we let him go to another school nah they weren't trying to do that and I understand why Totally understand that. Totally understand that. Well, the first draft was held at the Ritz-Carlton in Philadelphia. Of course, that was owned by the Bell family on February the 8th, 1936. So they decided, okay, we're going to do this. And the draft was nothing like it is now, obviously. There's no fans wearing dog masks for the Cleveland Browns, Jets, uh, jerseys, and all of that. There was none of that. It was a bunch of owners. Who, cried, who went into the hotel. They had a blackboard with 90 eligible players written down, and those owners made the selections. Please correct me if I'm wrong. This is what I'm learning. Okay, Some of this I knew. Some of this I did not know. And here you go. First pick of the draft, guess who got it? The Philadelphia Eagles. And Burt Bell selected who? Jay Burringer, who was a halfback out of the University of Chicago. He was the first Heisman Trophy winner course it wasn't the Heisman Trophy it was the downtown athletic club trophy named for obviously the club in which they make the presentation every year right he was the first Heisman Trophy winner and the funny part is is that Berwinger basically said no I'm not playing for (laughs) y'all I'm not playing and he ended up getting his rights traded away by the way to the Chicago Bears Hallis Tried to sign him. Birdwinger just threw out there, look, I want $25,000, which at the time, that was a lot of money. I want two years at $25,000 and no cuts. And Hallis said, right, poof, be gone. Have a nice day. He never did play any pro football uh, until I think he ended up playing, what, a year? Basically, he ended up um, – he, he talked about this and said, look, post-depression – they are only playing, paying about $100 a game anyway. And after the depression, didn't nobody have anybody, any money. How are they going to pay people after the depression? All right. So ended up uh, out of those 81, there were 81 selections in that first draft. Only 24 guys played. Okay. Burringer, by the way, he wanted to try out for the Olympics. I think he was a, a decathlete. Did not make the cut ended up becoming a foam rubber salesman so there was actually pretty good money in that you know instead of playing pro football pro football was not what it is yet right so what what did we learn about that well that parody ended up making the league grow you saw a little bit of a change right it's not always the same teams that are winning the championships if you go in the 20s, the Kenton Bulldogs, who were one of the first teams, they had, you know, they, they had won the first couple of championships. They were in there a lot. You had the Giants and the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Bears. And if you go back through NFL history, In the 1960s, it was the Green Bay Packers, right? In the 70s, the Pittsburgh Steelers. In the 80s, you had the San Francisco 49ers. In the 90s, it was the Cowboys. But on the in-between, you still had a lot of other teams that were winning championships. And then parity became more and more widespread. I mean, all you have to do is look back at the championships that was won over the course of time. If you look at even just the Super Bowl winners, let's just call it the 2000s, right? I'll name them all. Uh, If you want to start with the Baltimore Ravens, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Outside of the New England Patriots, who were the dynasty of the 2000s, you have the Ravens, the Buccaneers, the Steelers, the Colts, the Giants, the Saints, the Packers, and the Seattle Seahawks, the Denver Broncos, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Kansas City Chiefs. And then just this past year, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers again. is a beautiful thing. And it made the league survive. And it helped the league what could have been the death of the league. Which is, if all of these same teams are winning, and it's even less teams than it is college. Because college was from coast to coast. There were only like eight teams at the time. In the NFL and so in order for them to, to grow there was a, a startup league in 1946 the AAFC and that had the Cleveland Browns and and a couple of other teams and then that league got either, some of the teams ended up out and then a good chunk of them ended up joining into the NFL made the league grow some more you had the AFL we all know the story of the AFL when it began in 1960 and all of those teams the AFL-NFL merger that was finalized in 1970 that grew the league even more. Eventually had, what, 32 teams. You have a little more now, right? So it grew the league, and therefore there was more parity. And scouts played a really, really big role in this. I've read because, like I said, there were owners that were making these selections. And they had to go and negotiate with these guys who, like I said, were essentially free agents. And they could go anywhere they wanted to in the country. But, of course, they were going to go to the same teams because they were the ones that were paying. Why would I go work you know, for McDonald's when I can work, work at a restaurant like uh, Ruth Chris? If I can make top dollar here as a cook instead of... Being on fries, making $10.50 an hour, why would I do that? Well, love of the game. Nah, I'm, I don't love fries that much. You have to understand what the times were like back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And there was a lot of faith that was put into the league going forward. And again, by the way, you know, you had Burt Bell who. I mean it, it, it was funny how he named the team the Eagles. It was a sign that he walked past the National Recovery Act and had an eagle on there. It's like, oh yeah, I'll name them the Eagles. Well, the Philadelphia Eagles, he became commissioner in 1946 to 1959. Um they won the NFL championship. They won back-to-back NFL championships in 48 and in 49. And unfortunately. Bird Bell passed away on October, in October of 1959 at an Eagles game at Franklin Field. A year later, they played the Green Bay Packers and they won the 1960 championship against the Packers 17-13 on that same field. And of course, it was not until Super Bowl 52, until they beat the New England Patriots, the powerhouse of the league, Just like the Green Bay Packers were a powerhouse of the league back then. They won Super Bowl 52 for the first. They won the championship for the first time in years, decades. And I mean, that was just an awesome, awesome story. Just imagine that happening today. But Burt Bell, he put a lot of work into that and him instituting the NFL draft. Think about those things, how the league would have turned out. I don't even know if there would have been a league had there not been a draft. Real Talk. Eventually, I'll get to talking about scouts, but I'm have to honor two scouts that I read about. Um, of course, it was Bill Nunn Jr. Uh, he worked with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And also the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFL, the actual first black full-time black scout in NFL history was Lloyd Wells, and they had a pipeline to those black schools to those uh, to to all of those HBCUs, where you know they weren't getting drafted. You know, we'll, we'll do something on the history of African Americans in the NFL. But I thought that that was very, very interesting. I mean, Bill Nunn, actually, just I'm doing this because I'm a Steelers fan, partially. But he was a key scout, along with the likes of, and you probably don't know some of these names. I mean, plenty of football fans should know the name Gil Brandt. He was a big time help for what over 28 years of scout for the Dallas Cowboys franchise from 1960 to I think about 1988. And um, there were other legendary scouts. If you keep up with the way that um, some of these dynasties were built, these scouts like Sarge McKenzie, Dick Gallagher, they built those old 40s Paul Brown, Cleveland Brown teams. Was those as multi, multi-champions. And then a man by the, man, by the name of Jack Venisi, he was the key scout for the 1960s Green Bay Packers. Remember the Packers up under Vince Lombardi in that time? They were the first and only team to three peat. Three championships in a row. Bill Nunn if you don't know uh, well his son actually Bill Nunn third. alright so how many of y'all out there actually watched uh, Do The Right Thing? Y'all remember Radio Raheem? How about uh, New Jack City, the Dutta Man, that's Bill Nunn's son. All right. Unfortunately, he passed away early. He had leukemia, uh, what, back in 2016? Well, Bill Nunn Jr., he was a key scout with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he started off as a sports writer. And eventually, when Chuck Noll took over as head coach in 1969, they actually hired him. He had a plug. And he was a guy that actually wrote columns that pointed out the the great black players in all American, all black, all African American uh, teams for uh, for the for his newspaper. It was called the Pittsburgh Courier, and it was an African American newspaper. And I'm gonna give credit where it's due. This was a um, an article from 2014, the New York Times. By William Yardley. Uh this is this is after Bill Nunn passed away at the age of 89. And basically he had that plug and was knew where a lot of the great African American players were out there. So and also keep this in mind when these guys were going around scouting, they were only going mostly to the better colleges, the bigger, better colleges. And they you know. Blacks weren't getting recruited uh, or uh, they weren't as well. They were not being brought into the league on a regular basis just yet. Not, you know, unless they were going to certain schools. Well, those key Super Bowl teams, these are some of the, the Hall of Famers and great players that the Steelers found through Bill Nunn Jr. John Stallworth of Alabama a and L.C. Greenwood from Arkansas Pine Bluff, Mel Blount. From Southern, Dwight White, East Texas State. Donnie Shell from South Carolina State. And Ernie Holmes of Texas Southern. Part of that Steel Curtain defense. So, And he actually worked with the Steelers all the way to 1987. Um, and he was also instrumental in bringing in uh, one of the first black quarterbacks, even though it didn't work out. I have my own thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, with um, Joe Gilliam. Um, but and the thing is he beat out Gilliam did beat out the first pick of the 1970 draft hall of famer, Terry Bradshaw and his backup, Notre Dame quarterback, Terry Hanratty So he had something, you know, he, but you couldn't go too far and, and mess up too bad if you were a black quarterback back then. And none did recognize that he even talked about it in an interview, um, and asking, it, well, he he was he was, uh, even though the Roonies and uh, Coach Noel were open to doing a lot of innovative things.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: There were still questions about were they smart enough and things like that. You know, they didn't let African-Americans play linebacker. They didn't let African-Americans play uh, quarterback, the thinking man's positions. So it was was good to see that uh, he was instrumental along with Lloyd Wells bringing in teams uh, or players to build some of these championship teams. And keep in mind uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Hank Stram, up under Lloyd Wells, uh, being that help as the first black scout, helped bring in players as well. They won Super Bowl. And the Steelers won Super Bowls. So anyway, with that being said, all right, so we got a new segment that we are debuting this week in NFL history all right so we're talking about from april 12th to april 18th and keep in mind that this is you know around the draft so this is per nfl.com the buccaneers acquired wide receiver Keyshawn johnson from the jets for two first round picks in 2000 and the bucks they signed key to that eight-year 56 million dollar contract he was a three-time pro bowl selection and a 2002 pro bowl selection with the buccaneers had career highs in yards uh that that season and they won super bowl 37 go figure all right april 13th all right you know i don't think i'm gonna do the dates but here maybe i should nfl owners approved the rams move from Los Angeles to St. Louis in 1995. How about that? In 21 years in St. Louis, 95 to 2015, the Rams compiled a record of 142, 193, and one. That's, this all included five playoff appearances, two Super Bowl appearances, and that one championship, the only one in their franchise's history. All right, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I live in Nashville if you get my drift the Cowboys released Des Bryant in 2018 he was the 24th the 24th overall pick in 2010 he played 8 years with the Cowboys and he led all wide receivers in the NFL in receiving touchdowns 73 during that span pretty good he played his first football games in 2020 with the Ravens after a 1,043 day gap between his last game with the Cowboys. How about that? Uh, Also, um, in April, let's just go, April 14th, Jared Allen signed a one-day contract with the Vikings, and he promptly retired from football in 2016. I think he might be a Hall of Famer. He might be. 136 career sacks, that's 12th in NFL history. He might be a Hall of Famer. April 15th, Hall of Famer, Weeb Eubank, became the New York Titans new head coach. Of course, in 63, they, t- they changed their names to the Jets. He won back-to-back NFL titles with the Colts in 58 and 59, and guided the Jets to their one and only Super Bowl wins, Super both three, the Joe Namath Guarantee, y'all. And he's the only coach to win championships in both the NFL and AFL. April 16th, guess what happened? The Patriots selected Tom Brady, 199th overall in the sixth round of the NFL Draft in 2000. Six-time Super Bowl champion with the Patriots, three-time AP NFL MVP, three-time first-team All-Pro, and 14-time Pro Bowl selection, tied for most in NFL history. On the 17th, the Colts, Selected Hall of Fame running back Edron James, fourth overall in the NFL Draft in 1999. He is the Colts' all-time leader in rushing yards, 9,226, and touchdowns with 64. He was a four-time Pro Bowl selection. In 1999, he was a first-team All-Pro, a Hall of Fame All-2000s team member and the 1999 AP Office of Rookie of the Year. He led the league that year with 1,500 yards. Uh, and he's one of three players since 1970 to lead the NFL in rush yards in each of his first two seasons. Earl Campbell and Eric Dickerson were the only uh, were the only other ones. And he was a 2020 Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinee. Also, guess what happened on April 18th, Cowboy fans? Hall of Famer Jerry Jones purchased a majority interest in the Cowboys from Bum Bright in 1989. The Cowboys in 32 seasons under Jones since 1989, their 276 and 236, 11th best win percentage in the NFL and three Super Bowl titles. God, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? The Cowboys in 29 seasons under Landry from 60, their inception, to 1988, they were 250 and 162 and six second most wins in that span behind only the raiders the raiders and two super bowl titles how about that the cowboys selected hall of fame quarterback peyton manning first overall in the 98 draft he's a 2021 pro football hall of fame and first ballot he was a 14 time pro bowler tied for most in nfl history guess who the other one was and a five-time NFL MVP, most in NFL history, two-time Super Bowl champion, set single-season passing yarders record, 5,477 yards, 55 touchdowns with the Broncos back in 2013, and he's a member of the NFL 100 all-time team. Also, another Hall of Famer was selected in 98. That's right, DB, Charles Woodson, fourth overall. God, I used to love watching him play in Michigan. I really did, I, I, and and going back, I'm like, if I could go back and, and do that, that, that would have been great. I don't know if I would have made it. Anyway, 13 defensive touchdowns, Bob Woodson, tied for most in NFL history. 65 career picks, fifth, tied for fifth in NFL history. The 2009 AP Defensive Player of the Year, he co-led the NFL with nine picks and three of those returned for touchdowns nine-time pro bowl selection three-time first team all pro and oh God, do i have to say this i'm still Steelers fan a super bowl 45 champion with the packers God all right okay i'll calm down okay so my second favorite player in nfl history was selected jerry rice was the first Vikings selected Hall of Fame wide receiver Randy Moss, 21st overall in the NFL draft in 98. Man, how many teams did he make pay for that? And the Cowboys were one of them, right? He holds all single season receiving touchdown record with 23 in 2007 with New England. It took him one more game. Jerry Rice did it in fewer. Led the NFL in receiving touchdowns in five seasons, three with Minnesota, 156 career touchdowns receiving second all-time six-time pro bowl selection four-time ap first time first team all pro and the rookie of the year in 98 he led the uh nfl with 17 receiving touchdowns by the way and a member of the nfl 100 all-time team all right and happy birthday to willie ralph hall of famer (laughs) happy birthday to boomer sirenson Tony Baselli, Boomer is 60 years old this week. Man, Night Train Lane, Jonathan uh, Vilma, he's 39. He get old. Antonio Cromartie and all his kids, he's 37 years old now. All right, he's taking care of the kids. Offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, Brian Dayball, he's 46. This week in the NFL, y'all. Joe Hayden, he's 32. Baker Mayfield. DJ Moore, Chase Young, they all have birthdays this week. Dan Campbell, head coach of the Detroit Lions, biting kneecaps at age 45. How about that? And then uh, Ted Ginn, I loved watching him. All right, I did talk about a Wolverine, and I dare not just come right behind him with a um, with an Ohio State Buckeye. I'm not in that rivalry, but I did enjoy watching Ted Ginn play too. Uh, yes, it was really great. It was really great anyway so all right that that's the show that's the show look it's only going to get better ladies and gentlemen um i hope you enjoyed it uh just a hey, follow me at behind the mic on twitter you can find me on instagram and the um facebook page is almost finished and will be operational so let me know what you guys think we're going nfl history from here on out this is not going to be a podcast as usual and uh, we're going to learn something together, and we're going to teach something at the same time. All right, that's going to be it. Y'all going to tell your people about this podcast. I need y'all to follow me on social media, and I need you to also listen, download, like, subscribe. Or I'm going to find your house out.